This is your other brother's podcast. It's like running through an open door. It's like finding what you're looking for. We've been waiting. We won't wait no more. We got a beautiful story. Every morning, on and on. We got a beautiful story. And we've only just begun. The best is yet to come. Welcome home, friends to your other brother's podcast. We are a community navigating faith, homosexuality, and masculinity together. From the jewel of the Blue Ridge of Asheville, North Carolina, my name is Tom, and I am so glad that you're here. Joining us today from the handprint of God, it is our other brother, Ben. What's up, Ben? Hey, Tom, what's up? Thanks for having me on yet again. What's up? We can't keep Ben away. We also can't keep Will from the frozen tundra away. What's up, Will? Hey, you know, it's actually not frozen here right now, which is wonderful. So. How is it not frozen in February of 2022, the year of our It Lord? feels like spring. I have no idea what's going on in Alberta, but it feels wow. like spring right now. Praise the Lord. Wild Rose country of Alberta. That's right. It's good to have you here. I'm glad it's more wild rose than frozen tundra at this juncture. Although, didn't you mention to me that you've never seen a wild rose? I finally you? saw one like or last last uh, spring. Uh, so okay. They're so beautiful. It, they exist. They are. They exist in this land that's named for them. Um, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm always excited to see you guys, but I'm excited for this topic because this topic has a little bit of a backstory that sadly the Yabbers will never be able to hear because I think it was in the aftermath of our last episode together. We did an episode on bitterness. And after that episode, after the recording stopped, for some reason, we got on a tangent talking about this concept of delayed adolescence or second adolescence. And we talked like easily another 10 or 15 minutes after that recording. And I felt so like sad slash mad that the record button still wasn't going. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so good. Like we're having a great conversation about this thing that's existed, but it's been hard to like put a finger on, like, what do we call this, this phenomenon in our community? Cause we've noticed it. We've all noticed it. And we had this great conversation and then I, we put it out. Like, why don't we just do an episode next time? And you guys agreed. And so here we are. And we're talking about this thing, this nebulous thing, which we're going to add layers to and define um, today, which I'm so excited for. I was struggling in the title, which obviously when this comes out, it will have a defined title. But what are your guys' thoughts before we even start talking about it? Delayed adolescence versus second adolescence. What, what do we feel about either of those? I think that they're, they're concepts that are, that are tied together. So the idea of delayed adolescence... Um... And again, linked with second adolescence is that for a lot of LGBTQ folks, there are certain developmental milestones that our peers get to have, whether that's, you know, heterosexual or those that are more out in their in their sexuality that they get to go through that we don't necessarily go through when we're younger. Um, and that's because we might be spending, you know, the first, some of us, you know, 15, 20, or some people even into their 30s are suppressing their sexuality and suppressing, um, you know, sexual urges and desires. And so to unpack those later, you know, it's not like you grow in maturity in those areas along with the rest of your development. 
So it's like you're right back to being a teenager and opening that box for the first time. How about we call it just being young again? <laughs> the Being Young Again podcast. Yeah, because we're all old now, or at least I am. I'll speak for myself. I just turned 34, so I feel old. Wow, you turned 34. I'm about to turn 35 in a couple months. Ben, do you choose to reveal your age? Ben Rutkowski can be whatever age he chooses to be. <laughs> Ben's going to be anonymously aged. So you can imagine a 21-year-old if you want. You could imagine that. Um, so, yeah. So delayed second adolescence. That was a little teaser. Very nice, Ben. Nice to lay it out. That's what we're talking about today. Um, and so it'll be fun. We got so much feedback. Oh, my gosh. Back-to-back -back episodes of incredible feedback. So we're going to... We're going to read a lot of stories today, and I'm thankful for all the yobbers who participated. Um, before we get to that, though, you guys, the Super Bowl is coming, and you guys both preach on Sunday, right? How many football references will be in your sermon? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever made a football reference, <laughs> ever. Actually, I'm not even sure if I've ever made a sports reference. The one time I called marching band a sport, and... Uh, I'm pretty sure that's when everybody knew I was gay. Mm. Um. <laughs> I mean, really though, if you are if you are transporting like a uh, tuba or something down down the track, I mean, I think that's a sport, honestly. To it's like weightlifting, basically. <laughs> it's kind of obligatory, you know, re regardless of, of sexuality. That um, anytime Michigan or Michigan State plays Ohio State, that for at least that day. Um, you have to have some awareness of football if you live in Michigan. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but there will be no Super Bowl references this Sunday. So question, when when is the Super Bowl? And I'm actually not joking here. <laughs> so the Super Bowl is this Sunday. So the sermon you are about to preach is on Super Bowl Sunday. So take this as an opportunity to add some last minute notes to your sermons where you include a touchdown reference or a, Though I don't know. I know, I know some people here do watch the Super Bowl, but they're more interested in the CFL. So it's uh Oh, in Canada, yes, the great the Great White North. That is a yeah. whole nother league up there. Um but yeah, I wanted to mention it. We did I did a fun podcast, a convo cast with my brother, and the whole premise of the podcast, in case anyone skipped it, in case anyone saw Super Bowl in the title of the episode and just decided not to listen to it. Um Which is me. <laughs> The premise of it is it's to prep you so that when you're at a Super Bowl party this Sunday and you're there and there's football happening, you might be there for the food or the commercials or for the halftime show. But while the game is happening, you can now know, like, what are the things to look out for? This is my brother laid it out. Like, this is what's happening. This is who's playing. Um, I brought in the element of this is how attractive the quarterbacks are. And then we laid it out for 20 minutes. And, and so that's a primer for anyone who skipped it. If you feel unprepared to go to Super Bowl Sunday with your friends, this is, this is it. This is a 30 minute Super Bowl 101. So you can, guys can go back and listen to that if you missed it. So if you're talking about attractive football players, maybe I should give it a listen to. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we reference we reference at least three quarterbacks um and my brother i'm just gonna say my brother called one of them gorgeous as a straight man so i felt very validated to feel to feel reciprocate like i'm not just crazy right like my brother also agrees so that was that was a fun episode always fun to have my brother andy on the convo cast 
and on the Yabcast. Hopefully we'll get him back on the Yabcast again soon. Um, before we get to our episode, you guys, this is really exciting because I've been starving. I've been starving for a voicemail. I've been looking at the Yab line. I have the metaphorical phone on my desk and I'm just staring at it, waiting for it to ring. Um, and someone answered the call. Someone called the Yab line right after the bitterness episode, actually, that we did with Ben and Will um, last month. And really excited to hear... Well, I'll just play it. I'll, pr- I'll play the feedback because it comes with a discussion question. Um, and so I love the idea of episodes that bleed into episodes. And here is what he had to say. Hey, guys. William from Lafayette here. Thanks for doing the episode on bitterness. I think bitterness can sometimes, not quite always, but sometimes be an indicator of idolatry. For example, I was once so embittered against my home congregation after a confrontation with our elders that I couldn't even stand to be in the main auditorium with everyone. I just stand doing the foyer and wouldn't even put up with being there for very long. Even time away for a semester at college didn't reduce that intensity. But when I reached out to our evangelist about it, he patiently listened and convinced that it was actually being heard. Then he decided to help me by bringing me along on trips to an assisted living facility to visit with some brothers and sisters who had very few friends or family left. At first, it was awkward and a bit forced for me, but I could see that I was actually being helpful, and I had our evangelist there to help and encourage this reaching of my comfort zone. And to my own amazement, it worked. My bitterness started to go away, maybe because I got the sense that I had a place in God's kingdom again. Whatever caused it to help, it stuck with me, and I've since rebuilt those relational bridges. I went through all that to say that in the wake of it, I think I was seeking encouragement and affirmation, acceptance, reassurance, joy, and probably other things primarily from the church rather than from God. So because the church fell short of my God-level expectations and desires, I plunged so far into bitterness that my reaction actually confused our elders. I think what I did was make an idol out of the church, and it hit me in the wake of the podcast that maybe bitterness in general can be a sign of us making an idol out of something, speaking from creation what we're meant to find first and foremost in our creator. What are your guys' thoughts about that? Thank you so much for that call. That was incredible. That was an incredible call. I love hearing from our listenership. Thank you for taking the initiative to do that. And this is kind of my hope for the Yab line. You know, it, it can be used to say, oh man, Will made such a funny joke on that last podcast, or Ben said something that I vehemently disagree with, and here's why. Um, and so I love the idea that the Yab line could be used for that. But then I also love the idea that it could be an extension of of the conversation. Like here's a specific situation, a specific scenario that he laid out this, this gripe with the local church. Um, and now let's like carry the conversation on, not for the whole episode, but for, you know, a couple of minutes, like, what do you guys think about that? Is bitterness is all bitterness or most bitterness or some bitterness, um, wrapped up in a sense of idolatry? Like, do we idolize things? Do we ascribe things value that can only be ascribed to God at the end of the day? What do you guys, as your, as pastoral voices, um, how do you approach that issue of idolatry? How theological should we get here? <laughs> as densely as you can. <laughs> you came to the right guys for denseness, definitely. Yeah, so I'm thinking the triperspectival perspective of John Frame and his epistemology. And I'm just, I'm throwing out words. Um, none of that actually strings. So many together. syllables. Um <laughs> So I'm I'm kind of it's hard to know with those sort of questions does it apply to every situation but but generally I I 
say it does. So I come from like a a, a reformed Christian background, and we tend to root our um, understanding of um, what's right or wrong within the Ten Commandments. Uh, so there's the the um, first commandment that addresses idolatry, and then the tenth commandment. Uh, addressing covetousness um, addresses issues of the heart, and those normally frame all of ethics. Um, like so, both has the direction of our worship and where our um, heart is at. Um, uh, so both the outside and the inside actions. So I would say, in a sense, you probably could find idolatry. Um, within all situations of bitterness. Now, whether that's the main motivating factor or not, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but that's, that's my dense theological answer. Okay. Okay. Any thoughts to add, Ben? The question of whether or not bitterness is, is always sinful. I want to say at least sometimes it's morally neutral. I mean, the idea behind bitterness, um, it's related to, to grief, it's related to agony. Um, and, you know, the word used there for, for bitterness is actually more connected with poison than anything else, at least in the Old Testament. So the idea that to hold on to, to bitterness is to poison your heart, to poison your soul, to kind of deaden yourself, that it almost always leads to destruction in the long run. So from that side of things, if we're holding on to something we shouldn't be holding on to, yeah, that would be sinful. At the same time, people can try to move past their grief and not process things well, not process it uh, in full. And in those instances, it ends up coming out sideways later. It ends up, you know, kind of compounding, um, compounding the pain and potentially spilling out in other people as well. So my succinct answer, if we need one, is... Grief, properly felt, needs to be felt until its conclusion. It cannot be rushed when it is held on to beyond the point that it should be. That's maybe where we should consider it to be poisonous, to be true bitterness. And that is destructive in whatever form it takes. Mm. You you know what our answers has kind of reminded me of? I was... Uh... Uh, just reading the Fellowship of the Ring, and uh, Frodo makes a comment to one of the elves that, like, this is why people never ask elves questions because they give us both the positive and negative answer to every question. I feel like Ben and I just did that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Lord of the Rings parallel. You guys are elves, basically. Though I want to be more like Gimli, but but that's. I was gonna say I get more Gimli vibes from you, Will, but. But like I, yeah, I I resonate with a, lot, a little bit of this guy's story because he mentioned we don't know the specifics of this this confrontation with a, a church elder, but like church politics. I mean, you guys know church politics is a real thing. It's super annoying and infuriating sometimes. I've been in a situation in the past where where like I was attending a church that I loved that I really adored, um, and the associate pastor or the main pastor left, and that was a whole thing, and then. The associate pastor was kind of left in this interim role for like six months, a year, a year and a half. Like he was just in this purgatory of like, is he our pastor now or not? And the main leadership couldn't decide on it. And then people left the church and there's this whole big political thing. I could have been, I was bitter. I was bitter. Um, and I think it was valid. Like, I think it wasn't handled correctly. I think it was so clear to so many that this was not handled 
correctly. But then is the answer to that to stay bitter and to say, F the church, I'm not doing church anymore because it's messed up and there's messy people running it. Or is the answer then to to take whatever that experience was and take it to the next thing and to to hopefully see God renew and redeem what was broken and corrupted and lost because I definitely felt anti-church for a while after that. But I'm glad I didn't stay that way. I'm glad I didn't stay bitter because if I did, I wouldn't be at the church that I am now. And, and that's not to say this church won't disappoint me because I think it certainly will. At some point, it'll disappoint me or some one person or or the elders or whoever will disappoint me. But, um, but man, I just feel like we can't stay bitter. We could be angrier. We can be upset at injustice or... Um, but then let's not stay there. And if it means going to a different church or joining a different group of believers, maybe that's the solution to it. But, um, but yeah, I guess I've always struggled with that, that concept of the church of like idolizing the church, because I feel like the church needs to be something amazing and, and we're called to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so when it doesn't do that, it feels just super disorienting and frustrating and, angering <laughs> to uh to another degree well that's that's the thing with like righteous anger and i guess you'd say biblical biblical mourning um i mean if you look at david in psalm 63 he starts out oh god you are my god and earnestly i seek you it, it's a running after god and he gets to the end of the psalm and he's like but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. I mean, David's not exactly happy about whatever it is he's talking about. And he's basically saying these people are going to be given over to destruction. Those are not the words of a happy person. And at the very end, though, he says, but the king shall rejoice in God. So I feel like there, there can be these two tensions of both simultaneously praising God and acknowledging the painful situations that we've gone through that don't necessarily translate into bitterness. This is how you can tell somebody's a good pastor when they can just reference a psalm. Like that is that's that's a good work right there. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, and to go along with that too is uh, uh, we never know what's going on in the background as well. This is not to excuse any church leadership, but there's. One of the things I've realized being on church leadership is there's so much happening in the background that most people don't realize, and that influences decisions way more than what people may think. And uh, again, that's not to excuse uh, a bad decision that somebody makes, but it is very complicated, and there's a lot of layers to, to everything that's going on. Yeah, I know, for sure. Thank you for giving us that perspective from... Behind the holy veil, <laughs> whatever, whatever the metaphor is, um, it's good to hear from you guys. I hope this happens more often. I hope people call and that we can have like follow up discussions on subsequent episodes. I mean, that's kind of the hope for the Yablines that can give us something extra to talk about um, to keep the conversation going. And so, thank you for calling. Um, as we talk about delayed or second adolescence today, if anything we say um, brings up a thought, brings up a story, brings up a perspective, please give us a call seven zero six three eight nine. 8009 and we will gladly feature you assuming you don't swear or say like rated r things or you know keep it appropriate within the bounds of what yab is all about so does that mean i shouldn't leave a voicemail you should not call <laughs> no will will is forbidden from calling the yab line we already <laughs> have you on the show i have to i already have to edit you enough as it is so <laughs> no will's great will's a gentleman 
Um, a couple announcements about book club. We're reading The Relational Soul this week. I've already heard from a few people who are reading this book that they are so glad that it was suggested. It was suggested by one of our community members um, who had read it and said it was it would be a great book club entry. And I agree. I'm halfway through it myself, um, thoroughly enjoying it. So we're having our book club gathering to talk about The Relational Soul on February 16th. And then a month later, on March 16th, we are reading Eve Tushnet's Gay and Catholic. And I'm excited to read that because I've only heard good things, mostly from, I feel like, non-Catholic people. Like, I, I don't I don't have many Catholic friends as it is, but people who have read this book and drawn um, so much value from it who aren't Catholic, like, that's I think, says a lot. So I'm looking forward to reading that with our Yabbers uh, next month. So... Uh, it's the book club is so fun. I enjoy it every month. If you guys are interested in checking it out, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash your other bros. And we would love to have you. Well, is that a book you've ever read? You've read every book known to man. Have you ever read Eve's gay and Catholic? No, I haven't. I, I haven't read every book. So, but that is, you've read a lot. Okay. You should read it for book club. We miss you. We miss you at book club. Will. (laughs) I, I have a suggestion for book club. Uh, we should read, uh, uh, Schleiermacher, uh, would that be, do you think people would be into that? <laughs> what is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> There's a lot of syllables again. Yeah, you yeah, like totally, using syllables. totally joking there. He's he's a, a theologian that introduced some modern liberal theology, and I just had to read him recently for class, and uh, he's mm-hmm. a nightmare to read, so... <laughs> Yeah. You see, we want to choose books that bring people to the table. We don't want to repel. We don't but want to his, repel people. His name is fun to say, Schleiermacher. That is a fun one, Schleiermacher. Yeah, um, we'll put it on the list. We'll we'll, we'll get to it seven <laughs> years from now, maybe. We'll see. Book club going strong. If it's going strong seven years from now, maybe we'll give Schleiermacher a try. Um, but in the meantime, Eve Touchnet, that's next on deck. And before we talk about this. Second wave of adolescence. We have to give love to our sponsor, Acne. Thank you, Acne. Blessing our lives once again. Because it's not enough to go through once. Let's do it again. Let's go through it again, you guys. You know, there is like a wonderful pleasure to like uh, pinching a pimple and just having that pop. (laughs) Gross. No. Do you like that show, like Dr. Pimple Popper? Have you seen that? No, I haven't. There's like a show on TLC or something. And that's all it is, is like oozing sores and she like pops them. It's the grossest thing I've ever, it, it's, I've never watched it. It's like that one scene in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix uh, where uh, Filch uh, 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 pinches a pimple and it explodes all over the screen. <laughs> I don't recall that, but. <laughs> that, that's oh. how many times I've watched Harry Potter. I know which film exactly that. <laughs> You know, I've only seen those movies once each, I think. Just one and done. But I... What? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, stay. Stay. Um, I love the horse and his boy. Stay. Um, acne, yes. We love it. There actually is. Isn't there a thing like adult onset acne? Like, don't people get acne in their older age? Isn't that a thing that happens? I sure hope not. <laughs> Not to freak anyone out. I thought it yeah, was. I'm maybe scared. I, I'm scared. Maybe I'm now. just making it up. <laughs> what if that happens to me? Or maybe, maybe what I'm thinking of is I'm thinking of when babies, because I know babies can have acne because like their skin is getting used to the world, and so I know babies can get acne. But maybe I'm maybe I'm reversing it to old people. 
Well, thanks for clearing that up, Tom. <laughs> Crystal clear skin. Yeah, we're we're grateful that the Uzi Uzi sores and emotional sores of acne are adorning this episode. I I wonder how many people stopped listening to this episode, like hearing words like ooze, like it's as ooze and pus and pepper. yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is not a very attractive sponsorship today, but you got to follow the money trail wherever it leads, you know. As we mentioned at the top, this delayed adolescence, super fascinating concept because this is something that as a leadership team, like it's something that I've just been keeping an eye on and it's come up in leadership conversations. Like we have a Discord and we have a Facebook group for our community. And every once in a while, the conversation kind of just starts to get a little, I wouldn't use the language of off the rails. That feels a little intense, but but sometimes like, oh, we, we joke on this show. We haven't joked about it in a while, actually, but we used to joke a lot about Pair of Thieves and being like the underwear brand of the show or this community even. And, and it's like come up as a joke time and time again. Like we had this little silly bracket that we did last year um, where people voted on things. And I think Pair of Thieves made it to the final four or something. Like people just voted on this Yob thing, this thing that's become part of Yob culture. Um, and every once in a while, like I'm just picking out a specific example that kind of ties into this topic, but but then every once in a while we just start talking about underwear and we start talking about underwear brands and what what do you wear and what do I wear? And I tried this out and I ordered this kind or I didn't like it or I love this now. And and it's like on the one hand, it's kind of cool that there this is a community where a topic like underwear or a topic like following Jesus can exist, can coexist in this in the same community. But then on the other hand, it's like, I don't know, is this becoming problematic? Are people distracted by all the underwear talk? Is it producing distraction in one sense or temptation, unnecessary thoughts in another sense, if we're imagining our community members in their underwear or something, like if people follow that trail of thoughts, like, like, and I think that's, that that is such a snapshot of what we're talking about today, because it's like, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, I didn't get to talk with friends about what kind of underwear I could see I could see in the locker room that they were all wearing boxer shorts and I was not. And I was like, why? Why is that? When did this happen? How did I miss out on that switch, on that change, you know? And um, and so you go down the line, whether it's talking about sex, whether it's talking about masturbation, um, talking about pornography or watching pornography, like a lot of these like super heavy things that weren't talked about or discussed either in homes, families, um, or with peers in school or at church, like all of a sudden now, 10, 20, sometimes 30, 40, 50 years later, there's suddenly a conduit. There's an outlet for this type of conversation. And sometimes it almost feels like we're a bunch of 12 year olds laughing at inappropriate things or having these these conversations, but there is, so it's this part of liberation, but then it's also part, I think sometimes it can get a little obsessive or a little inappropriate. And so, so that's kind of what we're wading through today is just like, how do we name what this is? And then how do we move forward did i kind of lay it out well yeah though i do want to make um a somewhat serious disclaimer i guess in one sense now i am not a therapist uh so i i could be totally wrong in my understanding of this this area but uh like when i first heard delayed adolescence i heard that term quite a bit in conversion therapy um and there was this idea that like the reason why we're gay is because our adolescence was disrupted. Like uh, either we didn't have a, a a good relationship with our father, and that changed our experience during adolescence, and that's why we're gay. 
so I think it's important to make the distinction that that's not what we're talking about. Uh, quite often, uh, the delayed adolescence that we experience is uh, because uh, we are attracted to the same sex and we have a totally different experience from people um, like uh, portions of our growing up are are delayed uh, because we're like constantly uh, in fear and afraid of how other people react. So I think it's important to begin with that distinction that like if there are others who went to conversion therapy, uh, we're not talking about that. At least I hope not. Are we? Uh, otherwise, I'm leaving. This is this is a surprise <laughs> intervention, Will. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, is conversion I mean, therapy. Uh... <laughs> You're making me use the bleep button, Will. After we just joked that I, you don't swear. I am so sorry. I that was. <laughs> it just came out. No, we're not talking about conversion therapy. Although I'm glad you bring that perspective to the mix because that was not even on my radar. So I'm glad you even put that out there that that is yeah that is not what we're talking about today again the question of delayed versus second i mean okay so there's you know a decent amount of guys from within the community that did go through something of an adolescence had conversations with other guys about girls kind of a in some instances not being aware of their own sexuality or or suppressing it and so they got to go through the experiences of you know having their first kiss, going on their first date, talking with their friends about, you know, who they found attractive. But on some level, for some people, there's that disconnect of deep down, do we do we know that there's not as much excitement as there is for our peers? And so then, you know, when there's an actual acknowledgement of, of sexuality um, and orientation, suddenly we're, we're opening up these boxes and the translation from our, I'll call it a stunted adolescence, or maybe for some people pretend adolescence, not to put words in people's mouths, but um, don't necessarily translate over to our, you know, 20 or 30 year old selves, uh, navigating conversations around who do we find attractive? And for that matter, what do we do with these attractions? You know, now that we're in our 20s and 30s, how do we approach them? Um, I think one of the other factors that gets talked about or, or maybe not is the level of consequence. So if teenagers cross a line sexually, they'll get scolded by their parents. There might be repercussions. What about adult sexual minorities going through for some, their first adolescence uh, or delayed, whatever you want to call it, second adolescence. Um, and their pastor or their church finds out that they, as an adult, have engaged sexually or experimented, there's, in a lot of instances, a greater amount of consequence for those, uh, for those people as adults experiencing these things and going through them, even though they haven't had the frame of reference like their peers had back when they were, yeah, teenagers. Yeah, to add on to that, like... Uh... Like you mentioned dating, like that's always been the biggest struggle for me because I've always wanted to go on a date. I've always wanted to know what that experience is like and like just not having those experiences. Sometimes I feel like I am less of a human and it causes me to just kind of go through things again. Like like one of my biggest struggles has always been like uh, uh, romantic comedies or romantic movies and whatnot because it's like 
like even though those aren't like bad it's not uh it's not the same level as watching porn it puts my heart in a similar spot though where i'm constantly wanting to be in a totally different situation i want to experience uh this thing and it's uh like i think that's a an, an effect of uh not going through that those experiences that everybody else gets to go through so you're constantly thinking like oh what would have that been like if i went through it yeah. You know, let's just go there. I was going to save this story for towards the end, but let's just dive right into you brought up dating because I see such a parallel. I've never gone on a date. I've never had a girlfriend or a boyfriend for that matter, but I've never dated. And so I think a lot of guys in our community, I mean, I'll certainly speak for myself, but I have a feeling a lot of guys in our community will relate with the idea of befriending other side B guys, whether within Yab or, you know, going to these conferences or, or whatever they meet. There's lots of other groups out there. Um, developing like really close, really intimate, really good, great even friendships with people. And then some sort of conflict happens, some sort of, whether it's communication or whether it's physical boundaries or whatever. And all of a sudden the bomb goes off. There's this huge breakup or this huge conflict, this huge breakup. And it feels like, I mean, I've been there multiple times. Like it just feels like I'm experiencing what all of those 13, 14, 15 year olds would experience when their worlds exploded and they, their girlfriend dumped them or they like, that's what it's felt like. It's felt like as a 20 something, as even a 30 something, it's felt like I've, I was never equipped to handle that or I never, I just never went through that as a teenager. And now all of a sudden I'm navigating, I mean, it's same sex intimacy and it's, you know, platonic and it's friendship and it's not necessarily romantic or sexual, but but it's still like this really deep, heavy, close, important relationship that suddenly either goes through a really hard time or just disappears and explodes and goes away entirely. And, and it's been catastrophic. Like it's been extreme. Those are some of my hardest times of life have been either trying to repair these friendships or letting them go. And, um, and I just, I think of that when I think of second adolescence, I think I'm going to lean towards second adolescence versus delayed adolescence when we talk about this, but cause I went through an adolescence, but my first adolescence didn't have any, any kind of like dating foundation that would, that would serve me well in the future dealing with other intimate relationships, because I just felt totally, totally ill-prepared for, for all of these, all of these experiences. And I know other guys have had, um, have had some really hard, um, friend breakup stories. One of, one of the funny things, like I think I prefer second adolescence as well instead of delayed because during my first adolescence, I thought I had wonderful self-control compared to all my friends. Like, I'm like, man, I am good at this purity thing. And then I realized. Me too. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I, I was realized, like, sure. like oh. having sex, that's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't want to have sex. This is great. I'm like, oh, I do want to have sex. Oh, crap. Like, uh that's funny. Yeah. No, I felt like such a good Christian kid back then. I was like, why are all these kids? There was one kid in my class who had, he would like carry a picture of a naked girl in his wallet. And I was like, what is that? Who, who how, how could you be so low? <laughs> it's like, Lord knows what was swimming around inside of my head at that time. I wanted to read some feedback from lots of different age, age brackets. If you guys have any thoughts to share um, on these comments from the yobbers, big shout out to the yobbers. You guys came through. I'm hoping to do this. I'm hoping to do this more often 
Um, we used to take a lot of Yabber feedback in the past, and then we kind of just stopped for a while. I think a lot of that was because of, of poor scheduling and just not preparing well for, <laughs> for these podcasts as far as giving them enough time uh, in between recordings to respond. But um, but hopefully we'll do this more often because I just loved hearing. And we posted this on our Discord, and we got like 15, 10 or 15 different responses, and it was so great. Um, so here's what somebody said. Um, he said, while at 24, I don't feel super far removed from my first adolescence, I can definitely relate to that feeling of being free to discuss taboo topics. I grew up in a super conservative culture that didn't talk about sex, period, and adult nudity is non-existent in any shared context outside of a context of a married couple in a bedroom. It never bothered me much growing up, though I was as curious as the next teenager and sated some of that curiosity by reading an uncensored Encyclopedia Britannica set I had access to, which we have definitely brought that up in the past. I think they even sponsored, not Encyclopedia Britannica, but Encyclopedias. They sponsored an episode once (laughs) when we were talking about the sex talk. I think it was the sex talk episode, um, which a surprising, scary number of our community have not still not received still waiting for it same same with me i'm so waiting yeah. for it <laughs> I think we all are <laughs> maybe maybe in paradise we'll receive the sex talk from jesus <laughs> when marriage is no longer a thing <laughs> <laughs> when marriage and sex are no longer things we'll finally understand what it's all about suppressed childhood memory that just came up um mm-hmm. bring up encyclopedia britannica I need a suppressed childhood memory sound effect. (laughs) Unearthed. Bing. What is it? (laughs) Um, Third grade. uh, There was some sort of like world culture book in our classroom. And I remember, um, you know, opening up the book and like looking at different cultural things. And I, you know, I bet you it was probably Russia. Uh, There was this pool scene with all of these men and boys and you know like just any age bracket whatsoever just a men's pool thing and all of them were naked and i remember even third grade just being like oh i really wow that's interesting and just kind of fixating on that did not remember that until now Mm -hmm. hopefully we'll be able to unearth more things today (laughs) well i was gonna say i remember having a similar experience it was probably third or fourth grade and i saw I opened up an encyclopedia to the um, Statue of David. And I remember just like staring at that for hours. And it's just like, why am I mesmerized by it? David, I have you thought about meeting David in heaven? Oh my goodness. That's going to be something else, you guys. Okay. Here's a question. And this is, this is part one of two. Not a non sequitur. Have you ever had the experience where you become friends with another side B person on Facebook and one of the first things you do is go photo button, click? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. We all do it. We all click on the photos and we're all seeing, did they go to the beach one day? Did they post about it? Like what's that's, I feel like that's common in, especially on Facebook. Oh my goodness. If you, if you start becoming friends with like two or three other side B people, all of a sudden it becomes like, the recommended friend feature will just give you an endless stream. Like it go, there is no end. There's no end to the recommended side B friends you could make on Facebook, whether you're part of Yab or not. Wait, you look at pictures. I normally look to see if they are like fans of Beowulf or from Iceland. Uh... <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that's for the, any of the Enneagram fives listening. That's what you guys do. But for the rest of us, we, we might be a little more visual. <laughs> so 
like part of the reason, like why, why does that happen? I think, you know, before there was this element of maybe we came out to ourselves when we were younger, but I think that once that box is opened and sexuality is acknowledged, then even within, within common friend groups, there's still that, that curiosity of what do other guys look like. And I feel like in some sense, it's different than the former, the repressed, the, you know, the secretly running the porn versus normalizing, you know, peers and seeing that they are another person that's just like me. Can they get taken to a sexual space? The answer is yes. Does it necessarily do so? No. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that gets brought up in community as well is this idea of why do people really appreciate, you know, at least at some point in their lives going to places like the Korean spa or, you know, Russian bathhouse or, you know, something like that is that normalizing experience that a lot of guys got in, in high school being on a football team or, you know, after gym where a lot of us that were in the closet, a lot of us that hadn't acknowledged our sexuality to ourselves, we, we hid from those situations. You know, we went, we changed somewhere else. We hid is bringing that forward into our, you know, our twenties or our thirties and sometimes experiencing those for the first time. Not long after I joined Yob, I actually did make a trip to, to Iceland, which is like a country that I'm obsessed about. I dream about often. Like I love everything about Iceland. You look like you're from Iceland. <laughs> yeah. You know, I that's you have the, that look. That's the best compliment anybody could give me. But mm. I remember in Icelandic, um, hot springs like uh even their like uh, public pools which has water from the hot springs they don't add uh chlorine to to anything uh so like when you go into them everybody has to take a shower naked and there's a guard there to inspect that you're actually like like uh, uh washing everything like they they take the hygiene uh seriously really yeah it's wow. it's a little weird um but me not ever having a locker room environment like it was it was a tough experience for me it was like uh uh because like for some odd reason i'm like is like like is this something that my brain will take in a sexual direction and then i realized like no like this is like real humans being real people and uh we've never many of us have never had those experiences that this is like what real humanity is like um it hmm. doesn't have to be sexualized whatsoever yeah so did you enjoy that experience was it a positive experience it, or just neutral it ended up being a very positive experience but i i went multiple times because of the first experience i was so like like almost had like an emotional meltdown because i'm like yeah. i'm like i don't know how to respond to this and then the second experience was like oh this is nothing big at all like yeah yeah I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up, Ben, about Korean spas or locker rooms. Like that's such I think that's another bread and butter like that's that totally fits into this conversation that we're having cuz cuz that was me like when I was a kid, I didn't play I I ran cross country and and that was the extent of my athletic involvement. Cross country is a sport, I will say. That is it is definitely a sport. People will say that running is not a sport, but um, but yeah, like in a locker room, sometimes it would, sometimes I'd be in there when like the basketball players would be, or the football players, or I think the football players had their own locker room, but, but basketball players or some other team would be there. And sometimes the showers would be utilized. Sometimes they wouldn't. And that was always just like something that was totally not like, not even an option. Like I am not going to take a shower 
with other men. Like that is something that, and to this day, like that is still, I know there are a lot of guys who have, in our community who have found a lot of healing and a lot of just like growth and um, a sense of confidence, both in their own bodies. And then also just being with other men in those types of situations. So I'm not here to say that that's correct or incorrect, but I know for me, that's not been a part of my story. Like that to this day, it's like the thought of showering in a room with other men, like does not produce feelings of triumph triumph or, or like confidence. Like I want my, I want my space. I want stalls. I can't do urinals without the little walls in between the urinals. Like I need separation. I need my own zone, but maybe part of my future growth will be branching out. (laughs) Who knows? One of the blog posts that I wrote, I think it's called naked and unashamed in the locker room was my, my first really like, big locker room experience and it was with my best friend and there was this question of is this going to be arousing or not and it actually was just me and him to start out but then the basketball team got done practicing and they all came in so you know it's like I went through a baptism by fire there a little bit in my first locker room experience um and realized like this this is ridiculous like this is this is you know like a b movie scenario of a kid in the closet is what it is and just I laughed and it broke the tension in my head and just, yeah, it was just very normalizing. Um, Mm. Yeah. Wasn't an arousing experience. And I realized I was just another one of the guys for sure. Yeah. And a a similar experience for me is I'll never forget the first time I changed in a locker room. And this was after my Iceland experience. Uh, um, And this was with a friend, but this is with a friend that knew about me. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to be in this experience because like oftentimes they don't know that you're gay, uh, but my friend does. And um, and that was actually a healing experience because he changed no problem. Like he he didn't have any issues. Like most of the issues were like on my side trying to process this. Like, is this going to be a problem that I'm changing in front of a friend um, that knows about me? Uh, but it ended up being a very good healing experience because it wasn't like really that crazy of an experience. Yeah. Well, we're a bunch of millennials and I read that comment from a yabber who was 24. So I wanted to give some, some loves, a shout out to our, our older folks, our older, older folks sounds demeaning. Our, our, the best generation, is that what they're called? We'll give it to them. We get some, we give them some love too. Um, here's what a couple of them had to say. Um, as a 60-year-old, I find myself a bit envious at times of today's LGBTQ youth, teens, and 20-somethings. So many schools, colleges, and communities have clubs and organizations, safe spaces for them to be real, who they are without fear of being judged, rejected, or beaten up. I can't tell you how many times I wished I had close gay friends when I was dealing with my own emotional journey regarding sexuality, but that has never been the case, primarily because of when I was born. Um So my heart goes out to somebody who was just born in a completely different time. And like we had, you know, every generation has their struggles and has their issues. But I mean, I, my heart goes out to, to, if it was hard for millennials in certain parts of the country to deal with, to deal with being gay or attracted to the same sex, I can't imagine like 50, 60, 70 year olds who also, also had to deal with that. I will never forget one of the most important pastoral visits for me. Uh, Somebody in my church is like a, a great uncle of mine uh, is gay, just came out and would like a visit from a pastor before he dies. So he was like 92, 93. And I, I went, I went, um, yeah, and visited him. And the first words he says was, uh, uh, I was born gay. Like, it was like, you could see 
who was processing in 92 these experiences that he was never able to process his entire life. And I can never fathom how he made it to 92 because like I, I was falling apart at the seams before I came out to people at like, I think I was like 28, 29. And it's like, he was 92 and he was still somehow functioning. I don't know how he did it. So yeah, like the, um, the, um, older people have my greatest respect because I could barely make it. And just to go your entire life, uh, um, dealing with this in the dark is just, it shows incredible resilience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I echo that. Uh, someone else commented, I didn't have so much a second adolescence as a decades long one. I was bullied in school. So I kind of got stuck in that phase and kept reliving it, trying to work it out. I look back to my twenties and thirties and see a lot of adolescent immaturity in my attitudes and actions as a young adult. I've always gravitated towards friends who are much younger than me. I got married at age 34 to a wife who is 10 years younger than me. I didn't feel like I figured out who I needed to be career-wise until I was in my 40s. I didn't come out to myself until I was in my 50s, mid-50s. I think it was only then that this lifelong adolescence began to resolve, and I was fully able to embrace being an adult. At age 61, it's about time. (laughs) So... um, Growth is a journey. It's like it doesn't just necessarily happen in one or two years as as maybe puberty or adolescence might tie up a lot of things for certain people. But um, but yeah, it can be a journey. It can be full, full of growth. So one of the questions is why can't sexual minorities be themselves the first time around? Um, and this is from a licensed clinical social worker by the name of Jesse Kahn says homophobic and heteronormative, transphobic and cisnormative narratives, as well as governmental policies and cultural norms in religion, families, schools, social spaces, laws, and various other institutions all contribute to people suppressing or fearing their sexualities and sexual orientations. It's almost like because of the institutions that are in place, we learn from a very young age, don't be different. If you don't meet the norm, don't say anything about it. Don't show it because you know you're going to get stepped on. You know, So for, for those from a previous generation where the consequences in some cases were, were much bigger, um, you know, where, where gay men were subjected to lobotomies and electroshock therapy, it makes a lot of sense why they held on as long as they did, because the consequences were so much greater. Um, and one of the things that you know they're seeing in the counseling world now is the younger a person is, the easier, and I put air quotes around easier because there's still a lot of hurdles, um, the easier it is to come out, the easier it is to process with family and friends uh, a person's sexuality because it's become more commonplace to talk about in society. That having been said, um, call it a mini research project. I put out a questionnaire to a number of sexual minorities, and of the over 20 responses I've gotten so far, only one person, you know, has said that they they don't need to watch what they say around heterosexual people. They don't feel the need to filter. Everybody else, to some degree, even if they're out, 
still feels the need to filter about some of their experiences because it just mm-hmm. doesn't feel safe. Yeah, that that's a good segue to there's you know the the yabbers went seven different directions, which I'm glad I'm glad there's so much diversity to this topic, um, but that kind of starts to break into the territory of. Um, I titled, I subtitled each of these, um, the good and the naughty boys. And so I wanted to to read what one person said. Um, he said, I was one of those boys who could have probably been considered prudish when others would have something naughty to say, I would stay out of it because of my attractions. I have a feeling many of us here probably felt that way. I can feel that way too, of like being a part, even though I went to Christian school, Christian schools are filled with the worst, dirtiest kids is what I'm, I've come to determine. Maybe I'm just very biased against the one that I went to, but, um, but these boys, oh my gosh, the things that they said, like when the teacher was three feet away, even like um, just ho- horrific sexual things. And I like couldn't participate. Like I had to wear a front. I had to, like I couldn't make those jokes. I had to be the good kid. Um, meanwhile, again, all those those thoughts and fantasies and images floating around in my head. Like there was such a divide that I couldn't let loose and be be and do and say everything else that all the other boys were saying and being and doing. Um, like I definitely resonate with that. Um, and it seemed like a, a lot of people in the community tended to agree with that. They had to watch what they said because they had to put up a front either to be the good kid or... Um, there was another blog written, I think recently that someone had to, you have to like put on a front of uber masculinity. Like maybe you take it the other direction and you have to portray yourself, um, as super masculine. Actually, Will, you wrote about, you did a film review on Handsome Devil, which was such a pull. Like, oh man, I remember watching that movie years ago. I Um, love that film. That's what the main character, one of the main characters has to do is he has to be like the star rugby player. He has to be the super attractive, athletic, confident one. Meanwhile, I mean, I guess spoiler alert. Oops, I should have said spoiler alert. Meanwhile, he's very gay and is coming to grips with that in high school. Yeah, though, at this point, I kind of want to say a possible positive to having the second adolescence is because we were forced in a situation, we had to be very aware of everything that we said and aware of everybody else's reactions. I... And again, I'm not an expert in these areas, but just an observation that there seems to be a tendency um, that uh, LGBTQ people are just more emotionally intelligent because we've had to um, be like watch and observe everything very carefully. Um, And uh, there's some downsides to that, but I think there's a lot of upsides like uh, um, being a pastor and being able to like... uh, uh, be aware of everything that's happening and people's reactions has just been invaluable. Um, so that's that's a possible positive to this. But but yeah, a uh, back to Handsome Devil. Sorry, like I just every time that movie comes up, it really is my favorite film. Uh, it's uh, like ever. It's All close time? to it. It's wow. it's behind the Lord of the Rings um and and waking that divine if anybody's ever watched that film it's probably fourth and so ben has ben's got a ben you've seen waking that divine definitely yes one of mine and marie's favorite movies we watch it a couple times a year yeah the the only film where there's uh, a male nudity and i don't stumble Okay. Put I mean, to be fair, it's like a seventy-year-old and eighty-year-old butt cheeks flapping oh. in the wind. So, 
<laughs> I mean, one of the guys is on a motorcycle paint, going 50 miles an hour, so... You paint a lovely picture for that. You're welcome. That will be my next uh, side B uh, movie review. We're starting to get more film reviews now, yeah. So this is... We're probably going to create a section on our website soon where you can read all the book, film, and TV reviews because we have so many now from our community, so. Yeah, but one one thing I do want to bring up about, like, the second adolescence is... Like it does seem to br- produce very compulsive behaviors. So, like in Handsome Devil, as an example, again, like um, uh, the 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 gay athletic kid is going to gay bars and like he's uh, um, doing it secretively and whatnot. It produces this compulsive behavior, and I think that is a tendency, or I'm assuming it's a a tendency in our community, uh, like. People constantly like, I don't know, going to underwear websites or um, like uh, not not even like uh, compulsiveness with porn. But like there is a compulsive behavior that um, uh, that happens because, um, yeah, because of the second adolescence experience. Yeah. And going back to just the other boys, like I think there's a compulsive inappropriateness like it's fun to be inappropriate to say inappropriate things um to push the envelope a little bit to 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 kind of re-experience what we missed out on if some of us felt like we couldn't be inappropriate as a kid because we had to put up a front now all of a sudden we have a a safe group of people hopefully a safe community to be able to like let loose a little bit and to to push that envelope and i've noticed that i've noticed that tendency in myself like i won't point the finger at all the yobbers, but like, I, I know I noticed it in myself too. Like I'm a, I want to crack an inappropriate joke about penises or whatever, whatever the thing, whatever the topic is. And, and I've just had to learn to scale back. Like sometimes it can be fun and it can be chummy to be one of the guys and to make a joke, but, but then sometimes it can be off-putting and sometimes it can feel immature as well, just depending on the setting. So that's just something I've been mindful of um, through this, through this experiment. <laughs> well, even among non-religious gay authors um, that have explored this concept of, of second adolescence. Uh, one author just, I worry that the concept of an LGBTQ second adolescence can be misused to justify immaturity, recklessness, and unjustifiable harm doing, all while evading the possibility of holding perpetrators of this harm accountable. So, you know, this idea of people end up doing reckless behavior and sometimes it's, you know, with people from within our own community and it's a small community. Everybody knows everybody. And then there's this idea of this thing happened to me. Do I dare talk about it? Because it's not, you know, just talking about my stuff. It's talking about this person's stuff and we share all the same friends. And then that can put people into this kind of shame spiral. What do people do when they're in a space of shame? Sometimes they run back to the very same behavior that put them there to begin with. And unfortunately, you know, we end up with a lot of of self-harm or harm to others within the community as well. That's a negative of the second adolescence. And I mean, this could be a whole nother topic. Um, You know, me and my processing of of sexuality, I mentioned before that I, I came out to Marie before we got married, but we didn't unpack that again. Like we put it in the box and didn't talk about it for six years. And, you know, until six years into marriage uh, for the second time around, um, got plugged in with Side B community. And let me preface by saying this wasn't with somebody from your other brothers, but um, were there warning signs? 
yes, in hindsight, there were, but there was a person that I had established a friendship with that I, that I trusted. And eventually that person took advantage of me and sexually assaulted me. And that's something that needs to get talked about as well. It's not just in the, um, <laughs> I want to be careful. I say this. It's not just in those heathen pagans who don't know Jesus. It, it, it's in the context of Sibe community as well, that there are people who, who cross lines and cross boundaries. And I remember the next day the person was in the kitchen and they were singing, you know, some sort of praise and worship song as if nothing had ever happened. So, you know, there, there's positives in second adolescence, there's negatives, there's some areas we're more mature in, and there's things that also, yeah, need to get addressed because they also cause harm. Yeah. Ben, thank you for, for sharing that. Cause I know, I know that's a, an unfortunately common story, um, inside B circles of similar, similar things happening. And I absolutely would love to do, um, a podcast devoted to that and having, having the time and space to like really flesh that out and talk about that. So thank you for bringing that up here. Um, I'm curious if like, I think shifting gears a lot from that, like, how do you guys view girls? Like, I know one of you is married to one. Um, Cause there is for me, like a lot of, a lot of guys in our community will, will resonate with this part of my story, which is having a lot of friends who are girls growing up. And then all of a sudden discovering this side B universe and then shifting. And all of a sudden now I'm like obsessed, obsessed in a negative sense, but also just like a lot of it motivated by growth and by healing of trying to connect with other men. And so then my life has been dominated in my adult years of trying to connect with other men, either through the side B world or, or at my church or whatever, just trying to connect with men. And all of a sudden women have gone on the back burner. And I've kind of felt, I've kind of come to this realization in the last few years, like, oh my gosh, where are all the women that I used to have in my life? Cause I still have a few, I still have a few female friends, but not so much anymore. Cause I, I just laughed out loud when this one person commented, he said, at one point I realized that I kind of forgot about women because I was focusing so much on finding healing through making friendships with other men, something which I lacked growing up. I guess I should find female friends again, LOL. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm curious if that resonates at all with you or if you guys have a completely different take on that. Cause I definitely rec I feel like this has been like middle school, high school again, where it's like my life is so dominated by being around the other boys. And at some point, at some point I have to like look across the room and be like, oh wait, there's girls here. And look how attractive they're not to be like romantically per like pursuing a girl, but just to have balance in my life and to have more female voices speaking into my life, like I think would be a good thing. One of the things that my experience is often different from guys in the side B world, uh, though I know some guys with a similar experience to me, is I never like really actually struggled with my masculinity. Never really an issue for me to interact with other guys. Maybe it's because I look like a mix between Hagrid and a lumberjack, uh, but it's <laughs> like, like I, I've never struggled with other guys. Uh, so like in my adult years, I've, I interact with women quite often. Like a lot of my closest friends are women. And it's like, it's, I don't feel this pressure to like, um, this internal pressure to have male friends because I've always had male friends. Like, uh, so th that's like one of the things I recognize that my experience is often different, um, with how uncomfortable, I mean, how comfortable I feel with other men. Um, so that, that does change somebody's experience with women uh, quite a bit, I think. 
One of the things in the conservative evangelical world, and you know, I know that this varies region to region, but Marie and I have talked about this. Uh, this was her experience too, that you don't talk to a member of the opposite sex when you're in, you know, high school, especially late high school, going to college, unless you are evaluating that person as a potential spouse. Can we pause and talk about how toxic that is to only be able to engage with somebody to evaluate them about whether or not they're actually, you know, like marriage material. And then when you are married, um, you can talk to a member of the opposite sex so long as they are married to a member, you know, of, of the opposite sex for them. So I can talk to somebody else's wife. If that person's husband is not there, it feels very weird or did feel very weird to, to get into conversations with that woman alone without her husband somewhere around. Um, and this is something, thankfully, the church at large is starting to recognize, but the church doesn't just need a, a better theology of sexuality. It needs a better theology of, of friendship. Because um, what does it say that we can't view our brothers or sisters in Christ except as potential mates? I mean, that's toxic. So so for me, in high school, I, I felt like I had a fair mix of friends that were men and women. And, you know, even as an adult now, um, I feel like that is still there. I think it has shifted a little bit more to be more guys. But again, part of that is for the aforementioned reason. Um, that having been said, though, I mean, I am very far removed from most of the people in my church. Most of them are older. It's easy to connect with the older women. It's, yeah, it's really easy to have conversations with them. And there's not like this gender barrier there, I think, because of the age difference, if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, older women are so great. <laughs> it's such a shame that I can't land a cougar, you guys. That would be the match made in heaven because old ladies love me. I used to love when I drove Uber and Lyft. Um, my favorite rides by far were the old lady rides because they would get in the car they would be so just enamored with me i'm just i'm just saying reality they just loved me and they would tip me well i mean the whole point of it is give me a good tip right um and so the old lady rides they always gave me great tips and i was like this is this is where i should be this is what i should be doing with my life i i so badly want to talk about the movie harold and maude but i do not recommend that movie unless if you like it then i do okay so uh... <laughs> <laughs> that crosses many, many boundaries, so I don't recommend mm. it. But anyway, can I get into some deep theology here? Is that please? Okay, take two minutes to go to deep theology. Corner. Okay, so I'm get, I'm just gonna dive right into uh, Karl Barth, uh, the wonderful Swiss Reform theologian from the the mid 1900s. Uh, he has a wonderful understanding of gender. Well, he has a lot of flaws too. But anyway, uh, he, he talks about like since humanity, since we're made in the image of God, uh, male and female, it's not just in the marriage relationship that fully represents God, but it's the interaction of men and women in general with each other in healthy ways that represent uh, the fullness of God. Uh, so if we like don't interact with uh, women and only interact with men we are not actually representing the fullness of god it is essential for us to interact with women and i i think a lot of us in the side b community need 
to to hear that and to to like follow that like it will it will make you um um a fuller representation of god if you have healthy interaction with women in the church and outside the church not just well said very well said yeah and it's good to hear that it's good for me to hear that and hopefully it's good for our community to hear that too because that's not to take away at all from the great friendships you can make with other side b people or other men um in general locally where you live like that's i think I think we clearly in our community need, I mean, all men need men, but I think us in our community, especially we need men in our lives. Uh, we need male peers, but let us not lose sight of beautiful females, whether we find them physically beautiful or otherwise, like they have something to offer us and we have something to offer them as well. Um, and so I definitely encourage people to befriend a, befriend a woman today. That that That's one of my missions for 2022 is can I make a new female friend this year? I hope so. This is really a, a second adolescence befriend, befriend a female uh, today. Like it's like <laughs> it's like yeah. are we in high school again? Like <laughs> that's better than when where I went. I was thinking this is this like an adopt a puppy type thing, but that's where my mind went. So yeah, exactly. Um, closing the conversation down, I wanted to focus on peers and role models. So. We had a lot of thoughts on those two those two topics. So I'm just going to rattle off um, a couple of thoughts on peers and get y'all got yours your guys's thoughts and then finish off with role models too. Um, one of our yobbers said this effectively. I felt like I had no peers. It's a bit like being an alien dressed up as a human. You know you're different even if your friends have no clue. The fear of talking about it at that stage is just too great, especially when you're someone who is honestly fearful about acting on any of the feelings because of your faith and social circles. And someone else responded, I definitely, re I definitely resonate with others' feelings of having no peers, as well as a failed relationship, friendship in my case, triggering a second adolescence of sorts. I attended small Christian schools where class sizes never exceeded 25, so if you didn't fit in with the boys, your only option were the girls, or any other kids banished from the boys or the girls. During my entire K-12 career, the boys made it abundantly clear I was not one of them. I was also delayed developmentally, likely due to a chronic health issue I was born with, which made everything 10 times worse. Um, and I can resonate, like my, my heart goes out to that because I just feel, I feel that, like I always felt relegated. I've talked about it on the podcast several times, I think, but like our class being 90% uber athletic and I, and I ran cross country, which again is still a sport, but it's not football, it's not basketball, it's not baseball, it's not the holy trinity of high school sports. And so, um, so I just felt relegated to the, to the unathletic kids, to the band kids or the kids who didn't do any extracurriculars, like those, those boys. Um, it just kind of felt like a purgatory of no, no connection, no relationship, no interconnectedness to this, to this thing that I was hungering for this, this masculinity, this brotherhood that was so evident. The, I mean, the football players, they were so brotherly, like they just had such a vibe with each other. And I just, I just couldn't imagine that. I could not ever imagine that for myself. And so I feel I feel kind of again this new birth like I'm experiencing now through Yab and through um and through other outlets too. But I mean Yab has been the big one for me of connecting with other peers. Um and again it just produces this the sense of camaraderie that I maybe should have or it's it's more I have to mourn that I didn't have that growing up. One of the great difficulties I'm not sure we'll ever go away with uh, side B people is the fact that we are different. And I think the differences will uh, get 
uh, more noticeable as we uh, get older because like all my friends are married uh, with a couple of kids um, and every time, even though I feel very comfortable around them, every time I get together with them, it's, uh, I can't help but just feeling very different. Um, it's my life is 100% different from theirs. But I think what we also need to do though, uh, is to see difference as a positive thing. So let's, let's go back to my uh, favorite movie, Handsome Devil here. Uh, where where the uh, teacher says, <laughs> where the teacher says, if you use somebody else's voice, who is going to be you? Like it's being different is not a bad thing. It does take adjustment. It does take adjustment realizing that your life is very different from everybody else and your experience. Like you can't relate to other people's experiences, but your life is incredibly valuable and adds so much to uh, church communities and to other people's lives that like we need to like turn the the difference that we have with our peers into something that's really positive because it is mm. it's taken me a while to get there will and maybe i'm still not there yet but i i agree there's beauty in the in the differentness and we definitely have something to offer Last thing I wanted to talk about was role models. Uh, I thought this was a fitting way to to end our conversation here. Um, one of our yobbers said this. My mind immediately went to a comment in Eve Tushnet's new book. So shout out to Eve Tushnet. We referenced her a couple times last time. We're referencing her a couple times this episode. We are all about Eve lately here in, in the yob world. I've still never read a word by this woman, but I will get there. I will get there soon. Um, but he brought up her new book. She has a new book called Tenderness. Um, and she said, she point, he said this, she points out that one way many of us suffered was lack of healthy role models growing up and therefore ended up diving into unhealthy places to get answers, whether it's porn, hookups, other sketch stuff. I feel like that was the main thing I lacked and desired growing up was the idea of a side B believer. I've told folks who are counseling youth struggling with their gender and sexuality that the biggest thing I wish I had known was that there was people like me, older than me, and who I could find community with. I feel like that deeply impacted my adolescence for sure. So I guess if I had questions to ask in this podcast, they would be what role do healthy role models have in helping us through our second adolescence and how can we be that for others? And I think about that a lot um, when he poses that question, because I think about everything I lacked and I can definitely get mired in the, in the lack of everything I didn't have or things that God didn't provide me that he provided millions of other people or little boys growing up. But but I think about like, okay, that's what happened. What is there? What does God want to do with that? Like, what is the beauty that comes from the ashes? Maybe this is my my Enneagram fourness, like always looking, like I'm always looking for what was the horrible, wretched thing, but then what is like the what is the flip side of that? Like what is God wanting to do from from that experience? And and I know for me personally, like starting Yob, that's the heartbeat of Yob for me was when me and my friends started this community, we realized like we didn't have we realized we were lucky to have a group of people online to talk honestly and openly and to share stories with and, and then eventually to meet each other and share life with. But, but then what about all the other, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of people who don't have that. And we kind of felt this responsibility, like, let's put something out there. Let's put this unit, let this website out there into the universe and hopefully it'll bless people. And, um, and hopefully it has after, you know, six, seven years now, but, but I think about that. I know in, in a broad scale, that's kind of what I think about, like as far as being a role model. But but obviously, I don't want to just be known as someone who did something on the internet, like helps create a blog and does a podcast and 
and organizes Zoom calls or retreats or what have you. Like, like I definitely want to be a role model to someone locally or just to have someone look up to me locally. Like that would, that's kind of the hope is that it, I've been able to find this presence online, but translating that offline, I think is, especially as I enter my mid thirties and soon, you know, forties is right around the corner. Like, I think that's definitely something if I never have kids of my own, like I definitely would love to just to be someone in that as a, an older side B believer. That's why I've been so grateful for, um, we gave some love to the older side B believers in our midst because we need them. We need to know that it's possible to live faithfully with Jesus 50, 40, 60, 70 years. Like that's a huge deal. So um, I know that's more and more on my mind, the older I get. One of the criticisms or just comments in the side B community is that there, there are no fathers in the side B community because in some ways, some of these things are being talked about, at least in the way they're being talked about for the first time. But um, in some ways, Tom, you, you and others are, are pioneers starting these conversations, opening up these spaces for people to be able to have a safe space to, to talk, to feel, to be. Um, and I think there are role models. And one of the things we need to do is, you know, learn from the church, learn what to do and what not to do. Leaders get held up as role models in the evangelical church until they screw up. When you start something new, when you talk about things for the first time, you're going to get some things wrong. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. Um, Look at the New Testament. You know, Paul, the persecutor of the church, Peter denied Christ three times. And then even after the resurrection, did things that caused Paul enough grief that Paul called them out in front of the whole church. Um, role models don't have to be people that are perfect. They're people that run after Jesus, acknowledge when they fall, and get up and run again. And so we need to start championing this idea of, you know, not exalting, yay, I screwed up! but exalting the idea of having a confessional community where we learn and grow from our mistakes and run towards Jesus together. And in that way, even if we don't have people that are 30 years on that have been talking about this for years, we can be the kind of people that we hope our brothers and sisters will be in confessing and running towards Jesus together. For me, and this is a same experience for many people in our community is my role model was somebody that I read and it was Wesley Hill. Um, and that was like my first experience with, with uh, somebody who is a uh, side B who seemed healthy, who knew his theology, who uh, was just uh, a faithful Christian. And uh, sadly for many of us, that's uh, our role model is only through people that we read and not somebody that we can actually see uh but that is that's way better than nothing like i don't know why i just thought of this but one time i randomly uh um uh i was not invited to this uh conference of anglican priests uh where wesley hill was speaking but i definitely uh, uh snuck in anyway so i snuck into this anglican conference <laughs> to listen to wesley hill. um it was wonderful but anyway uh, but one of the things that I've realized, though, is like in my denomination, I'm one of the few pastors that's out. And I've turned into that role model 
for for people, which is a weird thing to th- uh, think because it's like I don't know how to live this life. Like I'm constantly like trying to figure out what a healthy side B person is, and it's weird to think that I'm being a role model. But the the thing that I focus on though is like the thing that I can really work on doing is respond in a kind and gentle way uh, to harsh comments or ignorant comments from other people or harsh act- actions or ignorant actions. Like I can, I can respond in kindness and gentleness. And that's like one way that I can be a role model because I'm going to mess up on so many times. Um, yeah. Mess up so many times, but I know that I can try my best to like be kind uh, to um, yeah. To the difficult straight people. What are you talking about? All straight people are a delight. They're all a, yeah, a dream. All, all made in the image of God. So <laughs> uh no, I love I'm glad you referenced Wesley Hill. Like what a great pull. Like he I know for so many, he's the first one that people and um that people discovered, that people saw a healthy person, someone to to give words to all of these groanings, you know, for other people, it's Gregory Coles, like for this new generation or, or for some, it might've been like one of us, like they came across Yab and they read one of our blogs and like one of us was that person on the internet, you know? And, and so there's, there's, I'm glad that there's more and more resources becoming available and hopefully the resources from books and blogs and podcasts, hopefully those translate to real, real life people, face-to-face people in churches around the country, around the world, um, that people like many of our yabbers can have someone to look up to to put words to this to this nebulous thing that all of us had to squash or just ignore or um or not process until well beyond our first adolescence among the many compelling unavoidable reasons why I follow Jesus is because he was a man just like me. He was human just like you. And he didn't just come to earth ascending in the totality of his masculinity and the total nature of his humanity. He came like we all do as a baby and grew up as a boy, a child. Jesus, despite being God, also had to learn, also had to grow. We don't get many snapshots into this adolescent Jesus, but what scripture does provide is encouraging. It gives me a sense that this God I follow, who was also a man, who was also an adolescent boy, gives me a sense of relating to my Savior that is unspeakably beautiful. In Luke 2, Jesus' parents take him into the big city, into Jerusalem, where they encounter Simeon, where they encounter Anna, two people who have waited for the day when they could literally hold the Savior in their arms. And in verse 39 of Luke 2, Scripture reads, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Later in that same chapter, 
Jesus, the child, is 12 years old. Once again, he and his parents make a trip into Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Jesus amazes the people at the temple by what he says, by what he knows. He stays behind after his parents leave. And I can't help but smile at the rebellious nature of this boy, one that could no doubt be found in untold numbers of boys. Rebellion through the light of devotion to his father above. His parents rush back to Jerusalem when they realize he's missing, and the story picks up in verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And once again, verse 52 echoes that same sense of growth from years ago. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so, fellow sparrows, whether you feel five or 55 years behind your peers, whatever formative things you missed out on during your first adolescence, however wide the void you feel now, know that the Lord our God sees you. He was with you then and he is with you now. You aren't forgotten and your story is not a mistake. Your path, potholes and all, has a mighty purpose. Young and old, near and far, we are all still learning and growing on this road. And we are doing it together. May we be blessed by and also be a blessing to our brothers and other spiritual siblings. And not just with our peers, but also for those coming up behind us. Those new to the trailhead and still finding the way. May we be the spiritual and emotional role models to another generation that perhaps we never had for ourselves. Able to speak words to these unfamiliar groanings of adolescent hearts. Able to sit present. Able to stand with perspective. And able to stride beyond the awkward and uncomfortable and sometimes lacking. Showing a new generation these new possibilities breathing in this new beauty and living it, living it well. If my five or six blogs on Yob have caused uh, uh, such an influence, uh, Will Cooper is a role model. That is a wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely, well, he. I has. have more than yes. five or six, right? How am no, I? No, you have. You're way more than that. You're over double digits at this oh, point. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the key is the momentum, Will Cooper. Can you keep it going? Because we all know you go into hibernation phases. So hopefully you can keep that momentum going for the little boys out there who need a Hagrid, Icelandic, whiskey drinking pastor to look up to. <laughs> <laughs> which we all do you guys this was a delay honestly like this was such a great conversation because it was a little bit it was a bit scattered because we talked about a lot of things but i think it all funneled together to this whole this whole concept that we're all growing up we're all learning we're all growing um some of us have to keep regrowing up it seems but um but i love having these conversations because it's just so this is this is one that's just so evident in our community and i loved i love the response thanks again to all the yobbers who contributed thoughts um, tried to read as many of them as we could on this episode, um, which opens the door, though, like I said at the top, opens the door for more conversation. If you want to call the Yob line or if you want to leave us a comment on our episode post, go over to yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Find the episode 92 post on second adolescence, as we've now titled it, um, and leave us a comment. Tell us a story. Tell us if this rings true for you, as it does for so many in our community. Do you feel like you've had to relive those formative years in some specific way. Let us know. Let us know how that's happened. Let us know the challenges. Um, let us know how you're how you're growing. Yabbers, you're welcome to comment again. Please, please comment again. We love hearing from all of you. Um, hopefully, you guys, Ben and Will, who I'm speaking to. Hopefully, when we stop the recording today, we don't have a conversation that then translates into another topic because I want those to always be recorded. So you are forbidden from speaking anything meaningful after the recording stops. <laughs> I'm the rebellious type, so I'm just not going to listen. <laughs> I might be safe. I might be safe this time and make sure I don't hit the stop button until we're actually hanging up. So uh, that's on me too. Alrighty. Well, Ben, Will, so good having you on. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being on and being yourselves. It's always, always a delight. As always, thanks for having us, Tom. Always interesting, fun, and in some ways unexpected. Mm. Yeah, I can't wait to see what we talk about next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was good. I, I I got to reference Handsome Devil multiple times. So Yeah, it's always good when you can... And Ben referenced one of his blogs, the Naked Unashamed blog, which was, we didn't mention it, but it was our top blog of the year. Ben, like, and then you know that, like we had a discussion about this. So lots of people Googling, clicking, we'll, we'll link all of the things referenced today in our, uh, in our episode notes. So you guys can click away if you're curious about anything that was referenced, but for now it's time to go. We don't have time. Maybe next time we'll do a third adolescence. If that's a thing, we'll, we'll talk about third adolescence. No, I hope second is as far as we go. I cannot do adolescence again. I'm done with adolescence. Um, but this was a great conversation nonetheless. Hopefully y'all enjoyed it as well. For all your other brothers, my name is Tom. And I'm Ben. And I'm Will. Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Our show is edited and produced by Thomas Mark Zuniga. If you enjoy our show, consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Your Other Bros. We'd love to hear your story. Comment on this or any of our episodes at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Or share a story to play back on our show by calling us at 706-389-8009. 
can also email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com or write to us at Your Other Brothers, P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. Finally, if you'd like to further support our storytelling, community building efforts, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly on Patreon and receive perks like bonus podcast content, access to a secret Facebook group, regular group calls with fellow patrons and authors, and more. Visit patreon.com slash yourotherbros for more information. Until we journey next time, we're glad you're with us.